0: Check that out. That's my favorite picture in that video. That's so cool how this it's not the light bulb that's shining, but it's the sun shining through the light bulb. And just how amazing um, this video is to just see how how we allowed um, God's love to flow through us into the community and, and made others feel loved and feel Christ Christ's love. Would you please stand this morning as we sing together? We are going to declare some truths this morning that we need to embrace and hold on to as we walk through this new year.
1: We all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, Amen.
0: God, we thank you for this time to be able to stand together and declare these truths. But Lord, when we are facing each day and we are facing our mountains, Lord, may we remember these words as we live our lives, God, and may these truly be what we believe and what we live, God, that you are stronger, that you are greater, that you're a healer, Lord, that you are higher, but God, that you are God of all, that you have one son, that there's a trinity, Lord, all three of you as one. God, we thank you, Father, for defeating death, and we thank you that we, are, we have life today and we can stand together today to praise your name. So, God, we acknowledge that we are here only because of you. God, that we have breath only because you give it to us. And, Lord, we thank you so much that we can use our lives and our breath, God, to praise you in the way we, that we live, in the words that we speak, Lord, and the way that we walk as we walk out these doors today. God, we thank you that we have breath to praise your name and may we use it for your glory.
2: I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus, and I hope you do too. Nothing is greater than that. Have a seat. Have a seat. That's awesome. Wow, beautiful, beautiful worship today. So as we started into the new year of... Uh, We did a teach a couple weeks ago about using the Psalms as a way to pray, as kind of an outline, a basis for your prayers. And we thought that what we would do is um, do that for a while on Sunday mornings for communion. So we'll read what we're calling the Psalm of the day. So today's January 10th, so we're going to read Psalm 10. And you might use that later as a basis for your prayers. Here's what I like about this approach. I like a lot of things, but one of them is that, We are not the ones prescribing the agenda. God is. So, my temptation this morning would have been to find a psalm that has the great theme in it or something like that and pulls it all together. And instead, this gives us a chance to really hear what does God want to say? What is he saying? And you know, there are times he says things that that we probably would not have focused on on a Sunday morning. In fact, this psalm is, um, well, I better turn to it. This psalm is entitled The Cry of the Oppressed. And the fact is this morning for some of you you come in and you're not feeling upbeat and you're not feeling excited. You're feeling some oppression and maybe you're not now, but you will this week. And so we we listen to God's word and hear what it has to say and the way it speaks to our hearts. And then in a couple moments, communion will come and bread will be in the middle and cups on the side and you'll take one of each and we'll be listening to a song. Uh, And as we do, we'll have just some thoughts for you to reflect on that go along with the passage. Psalm 10, by David, the cry of the oppressed. Lord, you you seem so far away when evil is near. Why do you stand so far off as though you don't care? Why have you hidden yourself when I need you the most? The arrogant in their elitist pride, pride persecute the poor and helpless. You pour out on them the very evil they planned against others. How they brag and boast of their cravings, exalting the greedy. They congratulate themselves as they despise you. These arrogant ones, so smug and secure in their delusion of wickedness, boast, saying, God doesn't care about what we do. There's nothing to worry about. Our wealth will last a lifetime. So seemingly successful are they in their schemes, prosperous in all their plans and scoffing at any restraint, They boast that neither God nor men will bring them down. They sneer at all their enemies, saying in their hearts, We'll have success in all we do, and never have to face trouble, never realizing that they are speaking in vain. Their mouths are pouring out cursing, lies, and threats. Only trouble and turmoil come from all their plans. Like beasts lurking in the shadow of the city, they crouch silently in ambush for the people to pass by. Pouncing on the poor, they catch them in their snare to murder their prey in secret. They plunder their victims, presuming them all as inferior. They crush the lowly as they fall beneath their brutal blows, watching their victims collapse in defeat. Then they say to themselves, The lofty one is not watching us while we do this. He doesn't even care. We can get away with it. Now is the time to arise, Lord. Crush them once and for all. Don't forget the forgotten and the helpless. How dare the wicked think they can escape judgment, believing that you would not call them to account for their ways. Don't let the wicked get away with their contempt of you. Lord, I know you see all they're doing. Noting their each and every deed. You know the trouble and turmoil they've caused. Now punish them thoroughly for all they have done. The poor and helpless ones trust in you, Lord, for you are famous for being the helper of the fatherless. I know you won't let them down. Break the power of the wicked and their strong-arm tactics. Search them out and destroy them for the evil things they've done. You, Lord, are king forever and ever You will see to it that all the nations perish from your land. Lord, you know and understand all the hopes of the humble and will hear their cries and comfort their hearts, helping them all. The orphans and the oppressed will be terrified no longer, for you will bring them justice and no one at all will trouble them.
3: There are times in all of our lives when we ask, Why do those who deny God's authority and even his existence prosper? This is David's cry in Psalm 10. The wicked exalt themselves rather than God, parading their wealth rather than praising God. Such people seem to be so successful, yet it is not the end of the story. They are completely unaware that the exalted God they deny will soon declare their doom. When they oppress the poor, they forget that God is the... Is famous for being the helper of the fatherless. Let's agree to do what David did. Let's turn our incomprehension into intercession and cry out to the lofty one to hear the cries of the oppressed. Remember today that as you go throughout your life and you see people who are seemingly doing everything wrong, but getting everything they want and being seemingly so successful and wealthy and everything along the way, remember that God's given us the gift that gives us eternal glory rather than this temporary glory, that Jesus came and died for you and for me and for all of us, and that his sacrifice is ultimately what's going to help us receive the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. So good morning. Welcome to Southfield. My name is Brian, and uh, on on your way in this morning, uh, you should have received a folder. We encourage you to check that out. Uh, There's a lot of news about journey groups. Uh, Again, we'll start registration next week. There's some student notes. There's women's retreat. There's all kinds of good stuff in there, so go ahead and check check out that. On the back, there's a spot for notes, uh, for you to take notes during this morning's sermon. And on the inside, there's a card, and we encourage everybody, whether you've been here one time or a thousand, we encourage everybody to fill these out so that we know, one, that you're here, two, that we have the correct information to keep you in the loop, and three, if there's a spot on the back for prayer requests. Because, again, we're a family, and we want to be there for each other. So please uh, fill that out with as much information as you're comfortable filling out. And uh, as we get started with our morning, I have a question for you. Now, we're going to start by, I'm going to... Preface this by saying we are talking about food. And I love food. I love all kinds of food, most of which are some kind of bacon something, right? Everything tastes better with bacon. I don't care what you say. Uh, You vegetarians, vegans out there, I don't know how you do it because bacon is just, it's so good, all right? Uh, But with food, what we're going to look at this morning is you need to pick one item. And that's literally one. You can't say more than one. Uh, you can't, I don't, I'm not allowing you to pick like all of everything. But if there was one food that you were told you can't eat that, what would, what would that food be that would make you cry like a baby? If someone said, you can never have this ever again, you'd be sobbing, weeping, and distraught. So distraught to the point that uh, you, know, you, you wouldn't eat at all. So for me, uh, in first service, I said bacon. I'm expanding that to all meat because I'm a cheater. Uh, Because, again, I need meat in every facet of life. So go ahead. uh, We're going to spend some time uh, talking about that. Have some fun with it. Turn to the person next to you. And uh, you'll know when it's time to uh, wrap it up because there's a a video play.
2: So it is a new year, January 10th, probably already saying, all right, that uh, resolution. I guess I'll try it next year, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know about you, this year I'm already kind of, I'm bummed about this weather, man. Like I want an El Nino refund. I thought it was supposed to be warm. What happened? Oh, well, it is a new year. With a new year comes a new series. And we're kind of diving into studying parts of the book of Daniel looking at what's going on there. Daniel is a book that, if you've been around evangelical and fundamentalist circles for years, you probably come to it with a bit of baggage. You come to it with the preconceived notion. In fact, if I say we're studying the book of Daniel, you think you know where we're going with this. Uh, for some, your tendency is to see the book of Daniel as a collection of, of stories about uh, spiritual superheroes. Back in the day... Long, long time ago. Cartoons only happened on, Sunday, on Saturday morning. I know if you're like under 20, that's unthinkable to you. That's like the bleakest existence possible. It's colorless, it's lifeless. It actually was colorless. I mean, we had a 13 inch black and white television, and if you wanted to change the stations, you had to get up from your couch and go across the room and turn the knob. We had eight stations where I lived. We were lucky. We lived close to Canada, so we got three more than everybody else. On the other hand, Canadian TV was excessively boring, so we hardly ever went there. But nonetheless, we had that opportunity. You know, everybody wants to blame Coke and Pepsi for the obesity ed- epidemic. Uh, it's time the government launched a multi billion dollar study to determine that our problem is the invention of the TV remote. It used to be that television watching was an aerobic activity, and now that's gone away. Now, I digress, but then again, I digress often, so that's the way it goes. Anyway, Saturday morning, we watched our cartoon superheroes, Shaggy and Scooby, Fat Albert, Tom, Kevin, and Annie as they wandered around the land of the lost. Bugs, Roadrunner, Tweety, Speedy Gonzalez, all these guys, they they really mattered to us. And then Saturday was done and Sunday would come. And on Sunday, we'd go to Sunday school. Now, Sunday school for me was a lot less high tech than what's going on in the brick room right now. There was no big TV or even a little TV. There was no iPad check-in. There were no computers. There was no surround sound. The one thing, two things we have in common is we studied the Bible and we studied the Bible with loving, caring people who really cared about kids. Mrs. Cooper, Miss Hollister, Mrs. Colombo, all these people, they were part of my life. And they'd pull out this three by four board, fuzzy little board, flannel graph. That was Sunday morning in living color. We had Sunday morning superheroes, David, Downing Goliath, Samson, striking down the Philistines, and three guys with really weird names who were thrown into a hot furnace and didn't get burned up. And then we had this guy. We had Daniel, a spiritual superhero. After Sunday school, we'd head to big church. In big church, there was no flannel graph. Bummer. But on certain occasions, they did have visual aids. They'd have these really long banners that would go all the way across the entire front of the church. And as you looked at them, you'd see these charts told the story of human history, start to finish. On that chart would not only be what had happened and what is happening, but what is yet to come. Daniel was often part of the discussion. Daniel, what is this 70 weeks all about? Does it foretell the great tribulation? Do this this statue with the gold head and clay feet? Can we find America hiding somewhere in there? Adults seem to skip the superhero aspect of Daniel and jump right to the supernatural, the what's next stuff, the prophecy stuff. Now my move into adulthood has taken Daniel into yet another direction that I never would have expected. As a new year starts, I'm looking to shed a few pounds, got a wedding in July, want to look good for the pictures. Those things last forever. Although there is Photoshop, it can fix things up. But anyway, um, we Google effective diets and what do we come across? The Daniel plan. That's right. From the book of Daniel chapter one, you can learn how to have a healthier life. Fortunately, it does not promise a 10-day turnaround like Daniel did. Nonetheless, it prescribes a path similar to what the promoters believe is the diet found in Daniel chapter 1. So, whether it is superhero, supernatural, or super healthy, you probably come to the book with a perspective, a way of seeing the book. Our approach is based on the title of our series, Thriving in Babylon. Daniel. Daniel's a man. He's a man just like us. He's a man with clay feet who was placed in a climate that was very different than his homeland. Remember why Daniel's in Babylon in the first place. The Babylonians carry out this practice of displacement. They would take people of a conquered land and move them to a different country. This would break down their allegiance to their homeland. It would disorient them. And it was very effective From this group of captives, Daniel is chosen to enter a training program. Three years to learn the language, the history, and the customs of Babylon so he could serve in the king's court. I want you to just stop right there for a moment. Do you ever wonder how other people, people that were around Daniel, viewed him at that time? I mean, we see him as a superhero. But the people of his time could have easily seen him as a sellout a compromiser, and even a traitor. They they may have had a different perspective. This guy is getting hit from all sides. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, starting with verse 3, to just get the context. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives, "'Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men,' he said. "'Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning "'and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment "'and are suited to serve in the royal palace. "'Train these young men in the languages and literature of Babylon. "'The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. "'They were to be trained for three years, and "'and then they would enter the royal service.'" Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel became Belteshazzar. Hananiah was Shadrach. Mishael was Meshach. Azariah was Abednego. So what we have here is a bit of a review of last week. But now we see the king's command laying out not just who was to be chosen, but the major components of their training program. We also see, uh, see the people involved, the key players. Maybe you noticed this, and if you did, good job. In the book, in this book, in Daniel, Daniel, throughout the book, retains his Hebrew name. It's called Daniel throughout. But for some reason, the other guys—Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah—get tagged as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, did they choose that because those names would make a better Sunday school song? What was going on there? And by the way, it's a it's Bednego, not a Bendigo. All right, a Bednego. You got to wonder. So, what's up with that? Why is Daniel still referred to it with his Hebrew name, and the other guys referred to with their Babylonian name? You're wondering, well, that's your assignment for the week. Google it, figure it out. Come back with an answer next week. Let's figure out what in the world's going on there. Verse eight introduces the conflict of the story of chapter one. It says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, we may have never at all paid attention to the little line in verse 5 if it were not for verse 8. In verse 5, it said the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. So why does Daniel want a different meal plan? Well, the key, I believe, is found in the word defile or defiled. This is a strong word. It indicates ceremonial uncleanness. This is the kind of word that would have been used for touching a corpse. The meal would render them ceremonially unclean. So what's defiling about it? What we're going to do right now is just kind of probe it together. We're going to to look at it and try to figure out what might have been going on. There are a handful of possibilities. One, uh, the meal was not kosher. I use the word kosher, a more modern, non-biblical term, to say that it went against the food laws of the Jewish people. For some of you, you just started reading the one-year Bible at the beginning of the year. And it won't be long before you'll be leaping through Leviticus. And as you do, you'll be looking at different colors of mold and different colors of moles on your body. And it's going to tell you to go show it to the priest. Please don't show me. I don't want to see it, okay? Keep it to yourself. If you got colored mold, call John Gizek. He's the mold guy. He'll take care of you, all right? But you'll be reading about sacrifices. You'll be reading a lot about food. Some of our favorite foods, crab legs, shrimp, lobster, pork ribs, and yes, bacon, were off the list for the Jews. They couldn't eat those. The Babylonians ate horse meat. Those are off the list for the Jews and the Americans. We don't eat that stuff, okay? I suspect that several non-kosher foods were eaten daily by the king. I mean, after all, he is the king of the world at that time. And this is being prepared in the king's kitchen. He gets the best, the finest, the rarest, the most expensive, and the most exotic from all over the world. By the way, it mentions the king's kitchen. Don't miss that part. Even that, a Jew was to keep a kosher kitchen. When we spent time in Israel, one of the fascinating pieces of that trip was learning about and observing their rules on food. Breakfast felt a lot more like a salad bar than it did a trip to IHOP. I mean, it was just, it was very different. Dairy could not be present if certain foods were out. It's not just about the kinds of food they ate, but the way it was prepared and the way it was stored. All of that mattered. So we can guess that the Babylonians were not going to adjust their standards for the sake of some captive slaves. It is true, the kosher issue was an issue. What what else might have been going on here? Well, the diet wasn't healthy. Let's explore that. I raise this just because we're hashing out all possibilities. That's what you do when you study. You just hash out the possibilities. Having said that, health concerns are far more a modern American concern than they were uh, an ancient world obsession. We get in trouble sometimes when we try to read our modern context into ancient texts. Further the word defile is not just a loosely used term. This isn't some fitness thought saying, you know, I will not violate this temple. I will not defile this temple with fries. That's not what was saying there. There were spiritual implications behind this term. It is interesting, though, that Daniel's diet of vegetables and water, void of meat and void of wine, is a healthier meal plan, and it led to visibly healthier people. Let's give a third reason. How about this? The king's food was used as part of religious ceremonies. It is likely that the king's food was used as part of the offerings given to the idols of the land. To partake of it would express allegiance to the king and allegiance to the false gods of Babylon. The wine in particular would have been used in their offerings. That is why Daniel would have specifically mentioned the wine. He's he's not intending this as a passage on alcohol consumption, he's talking about this form of idolatry. Now, to get a better idea of what this request is all about, we're going to continue to read in the passage, starting with verse 9. The Bible says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded." Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, he said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision, this decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's uh, to suggestion and tested them for 10 days what can we draw from this i'm not really sure that we can pin down a singular source of defilement in fact it may not have been a singular source it may have been many things but here's what we do know daniel was passionate about his convictions further his convictions were not just a set of beliefs that he kept tucked in his pocket and thought about them occasionally they impacted his life and they impacted his actions I don't want you to miss the word used. Go go back to verse 8. It says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He was determined. Look at at other ways this word is translated in, in other translations of the Bible. Words are used like resolved, purposed in his heart, made up his mind, Are you catching it? Are you seeing what's going on here? Daniel was a man of conviction. He was resolved. He was determined. He was purposeful. Daniel demonstrates for us an important principle if we're to thrive in our Babylon. You'd better know your convictions and be ready to live them out. You better know what you believe. And be ready to put it to action. By the way, it's really helpful to know your convictions before your Babylon is imposed on you. Know ahead of time what you're going to do before you walk into the situation. I promise you, there are certain stage of life issues that happen to every one of us. If you're a teenager, there's going to be a point you're going to be invited to a party, and that party is not going to just have Coke and Pepsi. There's going to be stuff going on there, and you're going to need to have decided before you come to that party, what am I going to do if this happens? There are come points in your life there are going to be people who will want to pressure you to do things sexually that you know you're not supposed to do. Do you know you're not supposed to do it? And if you know you're not supposed to do it, do you have a plan for avoiding that before just saying, oh, well, I didn't know what to do. We need to know what our convictions are. Making up our convictions on the spot in the middle of the swim seldom pans out. We need to know our convictions and live our convictions, not only when Babylon is imposed on us, but long before it. Daniel would not defile himself. He refused to defile himself. He was determined not to be defiled. So he makes a request. Now the request that Daniel's making is a dangerous request. It could easily be seen by the king and others as rebellion. He was asking to have the king's command revised. You just don't do that. You don't ask a king to revise his command. It doesn't work that way. It scared the man in charge of him so much that he said, if this does not go well I could lose not just my job but my head. It is this moment that Daniel gives us one of the most important survival tactics for living in Babylon. In fact, it's more than a survival tactic. It's the pathway toward thriving. Get this. Daniel didn't simply protest. When he found out the meal plan, he didn't simply protest. That's not what it was about. This is the chosen approach of of many believers in our modern Babylon, right? Protest. We're protesters. We scream about what we're against on Facebook or on our bumper stickers. Many times to the point of being insulting, we become known as protesters. That's where we stand. Now, if you're a protester, don't turn me off too fast, okay? The Bible is not saying that there are not times that we need to speak up. I know that protesting is part of the American way. I get it. But we're not just Americans. We're Christ followers. We're not of this world. Our primary citizenship is not here. It is in heaven. Our primary concern is not for our personal rights, but for the salvation of the world. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's our prayer. That's our primary concern. Here's the thing. Daniel shows us how to speak up without screaming and without being obnoxious. Here is the principle that I hope you will carry with you every day as you walk into your lion's den. Don't protest. Prove what works. Look at it. Let it sink in. Don't protest. Prove what works. Daniel didn't go on a hunger strike. He didn't get rude and abrasive. He expressed his convictions with clarity. He was not silent, but he was not insulting. He was respectful and he was circumspect. God had placed in the heart of the attendant who was over him respect and affection for Daniel. I suspect that those feelings had already been working up in this man as he encountered the winsome winsome and attractive way that Daniel lived out his faith. Now, too, he did not demand wholesale change for the entire program. He wasn't looking for everyone in the three-year program to have a special diet. He didn't even request it for all Jews or for all Jews who wanted to go along with him. He did include his three friends who shared his convictional spirit. What is it that Daniel proposed? Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision, get it, in light of what you see. In light of what you see, there it is. Give me 10 days to prove it works. To demonstrate that this really works. I promise you, Daniel didn't doubt for a moment if it was going to work. He didn't look at his friends and say, oh no, what have I done? I've gotten us into a mess. Because he knew this, truth is always true. And God's way always works. And God's way always wins. I do not think we are always as confident in Daniel, as Daniel in the ways of God and in the truth of God. I think sometimes we're void in that area. When we wonder if it will work, Why should anyone else believe if it'll work if we're the first doubters on the scene? I had this particular series and this this message in the works before December, prior to Rethink Christmas. One expression of, of our current American Babylonian captivity has been dubbed by many the war on Christmas. We've been frustrated And for good reason at at the secularization of a sacred event. After all, it is a sacred birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. It's not just a national American family-friendly holiday. Rethink could have been all about asking people, commanding people to grab the battle axe and go look for some Huns to slaughter. Let's go. Let's have at it. We could have said, we're going to make everybody rethink Christmas. Here we go. Every time someone says happy holidays, we're going to give them a holy smackdown. It's Christmas, darn it. Get it straight. Come on. We could have gone on a bumper sticker initiative, blasting our beliefs to the world. This is what we're all about. What good does it do? What good has it done? Sure, people know where we stand, and that's important. They also know that we're mad and that we're offended. Merry Christmas. Oh, so Scrooge-like, isn't it? Where's the spirit of Christmas in that? Where is it? What's it all about? So somewhere along the way, in the process of delivering cupcakes and handing out potpourri and meat-flavored hand scrub, I saw something happening (laughs) without demanding it. People were reacting this way. They'd melt, they'd smile, and they'd say, Merry Christmas. What was that? What happened? What happened there? What did it do? What did we do? We didn't protest. We proved what works. We proved what works. We were a shining example of peace on earth, goodwill on all Toward a hall on whom God's favor rests. Is it possible that there is a better way? One in which we do not huff and puff and get all offended and make up a placard and scream at people? Here's where I am in my walk after 52 years on this earth. I've come to expect pagan activity and pagan thinking and pagan morals from pagan people. It's the way it works. It's the nature of the beast. Screaming at them doesn't unpagan them. It doesn't remove it magically. I'm more convinced than ever that our country is in the mess it is in. Not because of the pagans, but because we as believers stopped embracing our role as salt and light. We stopped proving that this works that what we do here works, that the Bible works, that living a godly life works. We just gave up on it. The way we handle things as Christ followers looks an awful lot like the way the pagan world handles it. Look at marriage alone. I grieve what our country did in the area of marriage this past year. I really do. With the decision of one judge, an institution as old as the human race was recast. But I would re- I would contend that this redefinition did not start last summer, and it did not, and it was not initiated by pagans. We Christ followers have been redefining it for years. We started resolving problems the way the world does. We're not happy; we just walk away. We started embracing habits the world does. Getting married? Hey, test drive it first. Let's just move in. We accepted the idea that sexual intimacy is not something to be reserved for the marriage relationship, but it's fair game as long as we love each other or think we might love each other. I could go on. I think you get the point. Folks, the reason the world and the reason our kids are embracing unbiblical standards is because we abandoned them a long time ago. We've not been proving that this works. It's no wonder that our kids and our culture are sliding toward Gomorrah. The fact is, it's easy to protest. It feels good. It fans our self-righteousness. Like the Pharisee, we can say of the tax collector, I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. And I'm certainly not like that guy over there who doesn't know how to say Merry Christmas. Here's what I learned from Daniel. Prove it. Prove it. Live your faith in such a way that your light shines. Prove it. Don't just scream at the darkness because it's dark. Let the light blast into the room. Not on a bumper sticker. Not on a poster. Not on your Facebook wall. But in the way we live. Prove it. Show them what works. This is what it means to be the attractive and winsome bride of Christ. Let your light shine out for all to see so everyone will praise your heavenly father. You know, the other picture, the other metaphor that Jesus uses in Mark 5 is salt. When we talk about foods that we'd cry like a baby if we had to give it up, salt. I'd have a hard time living without that stuff, I'm telling you. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Flavorless salt is unimaginable. And flavorless salt is undesirable. Who wants it? One commentator wrote, if we are called to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or non-existent, we can discharge this function only if we ourselves retain our virtue. Right living works. Godly living works. It's up to us to demonstrate it. It's up to us to prove it to the world. Like Daniel, we do not have to wonder if we'll pass the test in 10 days. Truth is always true. God's way always works. God's way always wins. Prove it. Put it on display. How are we going to thrive in our modern Babylon? Don't just protest. Prove what works. Let's pray to God. Father in heaven, we really need your help. The times are dark and difficult, and we want to look all around and point at everything that's happening in the world when, in fact, we need to be looking back at our own home base, at our own heart, and asking, So, what's going on here? How easy it is to point at the tax collector and say, thank God I'm not like him. How much more difficult it is to just prove that your way works. Give us a refound commitment, a conviction, a determination to live the truth. To live what works. To do what is right. That others may see you and glorify you through us. And Lord, I realize as we talk about this that that it's easy for some of us to look at our lives in areas that we did make bad decisions and wrong turns and we might find ourselves feeling useless and who are we to speak and what can we say in all of this? God, we know that you forgive us and you give us fresh starts and new beginnings and you give us the ability even to say to others, I did it the wrong way. I I shouldn't have done it that way. There's a better way. Here's God's way. And this is the way I'm trying to live now because I know God's way works. Truth always works. Help us as we walk from this place today, as we walk into our lion's den every day, not just to protest, but to demonstrate what works. In Jesus' name, amen. Our servers are coming now, and they're going to receive the offering. While they do, I had Brian come up, uh, got a folder on the way in. He already mentioned that, and it's got some got some news on it that you'll want to know about. So where I wanted to start with you is what's going on with students.
3: Yeah, so we've got some really cool stuff happening. Uh, here in the next two weeks, we'll have info on our prom alternative trip. Uh, we're doing that again this year. I said last year that it would be the last time we're going to Green Lake. Well, God had other plans, so we have officially locked down Green Lake 2016. Uh, for June 12th to 17th, really cool, really excited about that. Um, and then we have day camp coming back. Day camp uh,
2: is a thing that we did for years. Yeah. I'm Woo-hoo! just so
3: pumped to yeah, have Very it back. fun,
2: very fun, very fun. Yeah, that that's a fun one to talk about. The dates are on there: July 11th to 14th. That's when we'll be doing camp. Uh, if you weren't around, my goodness, uh, years ago, we had this really really fun camp that we used to do over on. Over at the facility on Bethel Drive, had a big old zip slide out front, and I mean people would just drive by it was It was the best thing kids really got into it, adults really got into it. they had a lot of fun and I thought what would be kind of fun brian brian 's an official like uh, you know graduate, not a charter member and graduate of day camp. You know, he was there. And so I'm kind of curious, what are what are maybe one or two memories that come back to you from that area, things that just really stand out that were cool?
3: There are just so many things. Because, again, day camp for me was like a seven-month thing. You know, it started in January at my house, and then people would come over, and there's meetings and this and that, the other thing. So it was like day camp for six, seven months out of the year. Mm-hmm. But there are some specific things that I remember uh, that just – Every time I think about it, I smile. All the songs and everything that we did, uh, the, it was all a blast. I remember um, we had all kinds of sound equipment and everything out underneath this huge tent, and someone needed to stay to make sure that it didn't get lifted. So I went with my dad and my buddy Brandon, uh, and we'd go spend the night and just spend the night in a tent and make sure that everything was stayed there. Now, my favorite memory probably from all of this is, again, we had some really cool themes But one of the most fun was VeggieTales. And i got to tell you why. Because our other pastor at the time, he was Larry the Cucumber. My dad took on the role of Bob the Tomato. And if you think that the Kardashians are popular... Try going back to the late 90s, early 2000s and walking around Dominic's or anywhere with this guy because everyone, Bob the Tomato, you're And that's kids and adults alike. I mean, I felt like, you know, I'm walking around. I'd go to school and your dad's Bob, right? Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was so much fun walking around with this this celebrity, you know.
2: <laughs> it is funny. It, was good. it went on for years. I think people thought I was Pastor Bob. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I thought your name was, was Bob. That was wild. That was <laughs> wild. Part of the reason we're talking about this today, obviously, is to get it onto your kids' calendar. But one of the things I hear again and again and again that really just impressed people, it was, it was the light shining, okay, is that we had so many guys who were willing to take off days of work to come be a part of this and to come be a part of um, working with kids, I mean, it just impressed people like nobody's business. I'm not knocking anybody else, okay? But you know, the VBS I went to, everybody was about 92, and they made cookies, and they were all ladies, and they were the sweetest people on earth. But to see a guy there, and then another guy, and guy after guy after guy that was excited about working with kids was incredibly moving. So we want to give you this early enough that you can, you know, put in the request if you need to. I'll be putting in the request that my job this coming week. Make sure make sure they give me off that week so I can do this. It's going to be great. So anyway, uh, make sure you do that. Make sure you read everything that's going on on there. Just a lot of good stuff. That but, goes
3: for kids too. Now that you do know the Green Lake dates, start telling your bosses that you need off work. Start telling your coaches that you're going to miss that week because again, Green Lake, Lake Day Camp is going to be just an amazing time. We want everybody there. So
2: yeah, stand up. Let's stand. We're going to head on out this morning. Thank you for being here today. Um, I'm going to pray as we leave. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God truly is three in one. We believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. And until then, we got some living to do. And so I pray that we will live in a way that the light shines all over the place gleaming passionate light so that people see you god not just us they see you and they glorify you and they turn to you now god as we walk out of here and walk into our lion's den please god help us to give up the protests and prove it works in jesus name amen